newspaper men meet such interesting people. They know the lowdown, now it can be told. I'll tell you quite reliably off the record about some charming people I have known. For I meet politicians and grafters by the score, killers plain and fancy. Media Project gives you a half hour of commentary and analysis on what's going on in the news media these days, and we are happy to have you with us. I'm Rex Smith, formerly editor of the Times Union, here with my colleagues. We have Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette. We have investigative journalist Rosemary Romeo, and we have the CEO of Northeast Public Radio himself, the political scientist, Dr. Alan Shartok. Very kind of you well, to, to build me up that way. Well, well, I mean, we need to respect our elders. And, uh, <laughs> Indeed you do. Indeed we do. Listen, folks, my friends, I am despairing about the future of journalism. Having watched the town hall with Donald Trump on CNN, the inability of journalism to deal with the situation at hand, which is the leading Republican candidate for president being an inveterate liar and someone who simply overwhelms any efforts to Back check. hold him to account, him to what account. can you do? What do you think, Rosemary? You don't give him a complete town hall in prime time and pick an audience that's primed to be pro-Trump. And then I think Caitlin Collins did a fantastic job. She's a 32-year-old, really gutsy and smart journalist, but inexperienced. She does not have the same gravitas. She set up to interview him with no one controlling the audience. She had to do it all. Every time she held him to account, she was booed. He was cheered, even when he's mocking the woman who just won a court case against him as a sexual attacker. I hope Jean Carroll brings another lawsuit against him for defamation. So you set up a situation in which was essentially a rally. Did we learn nothing from 2016, from those horrible four years of his administration? He lied the second he began talking, the second he began talking about the rigged election. It was appalling. Chris Light should burn in hell for it. The <laughs> CNN the CEO. CEO. So, Judy, put yourself in the shoes of Kaylin Collins trying to run this. Yeah, it was an impossible task. She tried, and in some respects, she held him to account, but there were, a lot, there were some big misses. Trump went on about how people who are in favor of a woman's right to choose in terms of abortion, he said that they were ripping nine-month-old babies out of people's wounds, and she didn't challenge that. Right. And executing them after they were born. Yeah, yeah, and, he let the baby be born, and, and then kill it. And he said it twice. It was a fire hose of lies coming through. And I, I yeah. put the blame entirely on CNN. They set it up that way. They just invited mm -hmm. Republicans and independents who might vote for Trump in a New Hampshire primary, which is how many months away? And they broadcast exactly. it to the entire nation. They gave Trump an air of legitimacy by airing it on CNN and having Caitlin Collins asking the questions, there was no way to hold him to account. Were they thinking that he was going to turn into a regular candidate? No, They're, they were thinking only of ratings. They were, so they let's hear from the CEO, Dr. Shartok. So we had Judy playing the role of the uh, moderator, uh, the attempt to moderate. You're the CEO of CNN, let's say. What are you going to do if the leading candidate for president is, as you say, a fire hose of lies? You know, I, I know that there are many people who disagree with me about this, but I don't think we're in the censorship business. You let people say their thing, and then you have others who will say, no, that's not true, or you let people judge for themselves. I don't know. Uh, this is not a good situation for journalism to be in. Yeah, it's a very difficult situation, but it shows you the power of commercial broadcasting, I'm afraid, because CNN is desperately trying to build its audience at a time when 
you know, Fox is down, so there might be a chance. Maybe they're seeing this as a way that they could reach an audience that might be hostile to them. But this and shows... they're doing the same thing Fox did and is paying $787.5 million as punishment. You don't give people just what they want if it isn't true. Absolutely. There you go. That's why leadership matters in these news organizations, because I don't think that it's quite right. Peter Baker, the well-respected New York Times White House bureau chief, said that Caleb Collins' work was heroic. And I wouldn't call it heroic except that unless you define the defenders of the Alamo, 189 people against 5,000, maybe that was heroic, but they died. They're all dead. Uh, they're all dead. And I think that's what happened. Poor Caitlin Collins was left flattened by Donald Trump. Okay, I disagree with that. I think she did a heroic job. More than that, her questions were excellent. In fact, she asked the only hard questions because the audience of Trumpers just served up little softballs that were platforms for him to launch into how great he is. She asked really hard questions. When he called her nasty, she gave it right back to him. She gave a master class on how to interview an ass. And that she gets credit for. The problem was the setup. She had no say over that, and that was the problem. It should never have happened. And there were ways that you could give him his say, treat him with the <laughs> respect, air quotes around that, that he deserves as a leading candidate. More moderators, three moderators, so that one could go one right after the other. Mix it up, male and female, experience, less experience, as Caitlin is. The audience questions could have been screened ahead of time. Maybe Trump's people wouldn't agree to it. We don't know. CNN did not answer questions about how the ground rules were she set. She came out and said there were no topics off limits, no, no rules. topics. Hmm. Yeah, but were the ground rules the audience was going to be a mag crowd, essentially? I thought Caitlin Collins did a fairly good job. I thought she was a little too deferential to him at I times. didn't like the calling of Mr. President, I, but then repeatedly. I thought... It's yeah, you couldn't annoying. say Mr. Sex Offender, you know, or, I guess or, he know, couldn't get say, away with that. <laughs> hey, hey, Donnie, you know, that was a nasty thing to say to me, Donnie. You know, just, you know, uh, the only person I've ever seen effectively uh, interview Trump was Jonathan Swan. He did that a couple of years ago. Uh, that was a good interview. Actually, Chris Matthews did a great interview. A guy whose interviewing style I always hated. He interrupts. He's bombastic, mm. exactly like Trump. And that was masterful. He's the one who first got Trump to say, yeah, I think if a woman has an abortion, she deserves to be punished. Mm -hmm. That was the first interview that came out. Right. But you're right. The Swan one was good, too. But the, airing these things live is such a mistake. But it is what television thrives upon is live. Again, it's showbiz. It's it's like the it lion is eating. So the, it's not journalism. It's it's exactly. It's like the lion eating the tamer. It's a horrible mm -hmm. thing, but it's always the risk, and people want to see the pile up. It's exactly what it is, and that's why this format for television is well-suited to draw a lot of attention, badly suited in the pursuit of truth that is fundamental to democracy. According to Rick Smith. There you go. <laughs> According to Judy Patrick. Yeah, well, okay, that's well. true. So, I could not have done that job last night. I would have just totally lost my oh, mind and begun yeah. yelling. I couldn't do that. So I give her credit for nothing else and for that. She kept her cool. You know, and I and I hope, I wish that she had some control about it, too. They didn't just send the young, aspiring anchor out to the wolves, essentially. Hey, it could have been Don Lemon. I don't think so. I think she did a great job by comparison, actually, even to what Don Lemon would have done. She was <laughs> that, very that strong. Was I think that was that strong yeah. <laughs> Right. But, you know, that crowd, yeah. the audience was insufferable, and it... Very when they started laughing as he's mocking Gene Carroll, I could not believe it. And AOC is complaining that that's CNN's fault, too, that they set up a sex victim, sex crime victim, for a national mocking. Yeah, ridicule. Yeah. The day after the verdict, 
I really hope her lawyers are in the office right now drafting lawsuit number two. You know, the interesting element, too, is that this produced a lot of Trump content that can be second-guessed, that can be produced, actually, by the uh, Biden, Biden campaign, yeah. uh, such as when she directly asked him, to credit Caitlin Collins, she directly asked him, do you want Ukraine to win the war? That he would not question. answer. He would not answer And he questions. asked, she goes, well, so you, you condone this family separation? You take children away again? He also didn't answer that. He gave a tacit yes to it. But he got it away works. with lying about the wall. You know, I built the wall. He didn't. She he kept coming back. You built miles. 52 miles. 52, you built 52 miles, <laughs> Mr. President. I can't fault her, but mm -hmm. I really fault CNN. That was just a total gift to Donald Trump. So what would you have done if you were CNN? As I began saying, if you had to have him on, I don't think you do. There are other Republican candidates. You put it up where there are other people there, not just him. You don't showcase him. The audience was definitely a problem. More moderators. One moderator is not enough with him. Mm -hmm. you know, whenever you have a difficult subject, you got a double or triple team. I look forward to the use of artificial intelligence for instant <laughs> uh, fact-checking, right? So that as he's speaking, there's a flashing red light on the screen, false. False. Yeah, because you can't read an explanation fast enough as right. those, those, those were coming through. I would like to see mic control. You know, turn off the mic. <laughs> but somebody's got to be doing the turning off, and then you know what you're going to get. You know, it didn't go a full 90 minutes was what I thought it was, and I almost thought yeah, maybe CNN pulled the plug. Was it 9-11 they stopped? Yeah, 70 mm -hmm. minutes, right. Oh, mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so maybe they just wanted time for the panel to come on and try to correct right. some of the errors. But people who were watching it, they had turned off their televisions and went to bed. All the fact-checking that's happening, you know, in the, the 48 hours after this event, I mean, a lot of people are missing that. A lot of people listen to Donald Trump and believe the lies is the problem. But a whole lot more listen and saw nothing but lies and left. My Facebook feed was filled with people saying, I only lasted 13 minutes. I took yeah. seven minutes. That's all I could handle, you know? Mm -hmm. So he probably did himself a lot of good with the Republican primary crowd. I was Certainly just going to say, somehow Hampshire. he got elected to the highest yeah, office but in the he, land. This did not help him with independence or in the general election. He was an extreme, belligerent, obnoxious person. So the yes, journalistic analysis is that it was journalistic malpractice on the part of CNN management. Yep. Good work by the hired talent, Kaylin Collins, not so much by the executives. All right, folks, you can share your thoughts. Media at WAMC.org is how we get here. Uh, Rex Smith here with Judy Patrick, Rosemary Armeo, and Alan Shartok. We are the Media Project, and we invite you to share some thoughts. Big news in the news business is the Pulitzer Prizes were announced, the preeminent awards in journalism. And I was focused on the power of local not-for-profit journalism that was revealed by this. I sit on the judging panel for something called Nellie Bly Awards, which mm -hmm. is presented here by the Museum of Political Corruption, which gave the award announced 10 days ago to Anna Wolf of Mississippi Today for reporting that revealed how former Mississippi governor used his office to steer millions of dollars of state welfare money to well-to-do individuals, including Brett Favre, the NFL quarterback. And she won a Pulitzer Prize for local reporting. And the outfit called AL.com, which is Alabama, it is the shared newsroom now of the Alabama Gannett newspapers, won two Pulitzer Prizes. So I think there is some really interesting news here in the power of local journalism that is recognized by these prizes, right? Right. That is good to see, and I'm glad the Pulitzer Board did recognize that local effort. You know, one of the things that I was watching on this was 
you know, who didn't get a Pulitzer was Politico with the scoop of the century, which was the, the Supreme Dobbs, Court. the Supreme Court decision on Dobbs. And it was more than just the scoop. They had follow-up stories that were pretty good. And they, they just, were finalists. They, they didn't win, right? Do we have any idea what had happened? Much discussed in, among the social media journalism world. And, you know, some people think maybe the application was in the wrong category. Well, the board can change. They actually did that. What happens is the jurors in each category pick the three finalists. And then the Pulitzer Prize board, which is the high-level folks, including university administrators and so on, can move winners or nominees from one category to another. And that happened in a couple of cases here. So what is interesting, the LA Times won that breaking news reporting over Politico for the secretly recorded conversations about Los Angeles officials, which really forced the resignation of the city council president and others because it was such racist, nasty stuff. So that was a good team of reporting, including a former Times Union intern, Banareskis. So anyway, that was great work, but it is odd that the that great scoop the from the Pul- Supreme the Court. The Pulitzer Committee has a problem with leaks, though. Leaks. They, they think it's easy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Justice Alito slipped out of his chambers and gave Politico the decision. So yeah. what's the reporting there? Yeah. Although the open mic thing was also a lucky shot. Wait, 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 wait a second. Do we really start evaluating how important a story is based on how it came about? Readers don't, but the but Pulitzer Committee does. Yeah, if you're giving an award, I think that you justify part of how your consideration as to, yeah, what yeah. kind of journalistic skill was revealed. The travesty, the Pulitzer travesty of the last century was the Mirage Bar investigation in Chicago, which was a masterful piece of undercover reporting. And the Washington Post and New York Times teamed up to deep six it because they didn't like the ethics of going undercover. Do you remember that one? They, they set up a bar. They bought and set up a bar. Put secret cameras all over and just watched as the inspectors came in and took or asked for bribes in order to not condemn the bar. And what do you make of that? What do you make of that? It's one of the best, most engaging, interesting pieces of journalism I've ever read. It was the only way really to expose that, I think, was to actually show people the money changing hands. Oh, my goodness. Well, this has always been a big issue in criminal justice and in journalism. Do you all remember something called Abscam? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In which the crime was created in order to catch the guy. So, uh, you know. Yeah, that's true. And But it, the, what it revealed, member of Congress actually putting cash into his pockets. And actually, on video, you yeah. see him patting down. Does it show? To see if nobody can see how fat the yeah. bills are stuffing out in his uh, suit jacket. <laughs> wow. Very impressive. John Jenred uh, of South Carolina being that guy. Now they don't even hide. They just go in front of cameras and say, <laughs> I'm not guilty. I don't care about those 13 I, felony charges against me. I can declassify anything just by looking at it. Yeah, I took those. Yeah. I have every right to do it. I can show it to anybody I want. I'm quoting Donald Trump. From last Here we night. go. And the <laughs> prior one being George Santos. Well, you know, I I have to say, uh, and it won't be popular in this very go ahead though. Say uh, nose up in the air group, and yeah, that, that is, I worked for a man named Frank Thompson as an intern years ago, and he was wow. A they had interns back then? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you wrote a dinosaur in. But some of this stuff is perceived as being unfair, the way that they've been gotten. You're looking at me in a perplexed entrapment. way. No, it's like entrapment. Yeah. yeah. Right. Did it's, he take the money? Did he? Mm-hmm. I wasn't there.
Ah, I see. (laughs) (laughs) All right, just trying to get to the bottom line here. I think considering entrapment is important in undercover investigations, though. You know, you hate it when the police do it and journalists can't do it either. What's that group that kept sneaking in on journalists trying to catch them in the act? Remember that? Can't remember the name of the group, but... They also tried entrapment. In one case, they took an executive out to lunch and asked her all these leading questions and then, like, took her much highly edited comments as proof that she was doing something nefarious. That's despicable. But when you submit an entry into a contest, the editors, whoever's making the submission, has to describe the hurdles or the obstacles the reporters had to overcome to get the story. And that is often very persuasive when it comes to deciding who will win something. In uh, this case, for example, the Pulitzer Prize for Public Service, which is considered the preeminent, they actually get a gold plaque, uh, went to the Associated Press for covering uh, Mariupol after the slaughter of civilians by Russia's invasion. The international reporting Pulitzer went to the staff of the New York Times for covering the Ukraine deaths of the Ukraine war. So there was some really heroic reporting that was recognized. And on to the point about the reporting about the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the Washington Post did get a Pulitzer for national reporting for the, the consequences of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Anyway, there's a lot of great reporting going on, and we're reminded all the time when we see these Pulitzer Awards. But I'm just quite taken by the fact that this little tiny not-for-profit in Mississippi, called Mississippi Today, a young woman, I think 27 or 28 years old, who worked for two years on this investigation. And everybody in the state belittled her. They tried to stop her. She had to go to court twice, I think, to pry out documents before she actually was able to publish them and finally is rewarded with a Pulitzer Prize for this hard-won investigation showing the corruption of state government in Mississippi. Rex, you've been looking at the Pulitzers for years, and you've been talking to us about them. My question to you is, um, are you satisfied that the right people are getting them? Well, the great news is, and I was a Pulitzer juror a couple right, of times, I so, I, so I understand how hard it is to make these judgments because there's some really great reporting that goes on. So the right people, yeah, I think great reporting goes on that is getting it, and you can always second guess. It's not like the era of 70 years ago when Pulitzers were being awarded only to the top establishment outfits. That's one of the things that I'm noting here is that it's not just the New York Times and the Washington Post who are getting So does that mean there's some politics going on within the decision-making community that, you know, we can't do that anymore. We have to do something different. I think that all of the, because the jurors are working journalists by and large, I think there's been a recognition that they need to look beyond only the height of the establishment in journalism. I think there is some interest in the diversity of voices. So when they're announced, you know, you could be honest with us, Rex, you always are. You know, do you ever raise your substantial eyebrows and say, um, <laughs> say, um, I wouldn't have done that. I read into grunt and groan about people I'm jealous got it, yeah. to be honest. <laughs> but right. you can always discern whether it's jealousy or whether it's merit. You frequently can, and I think the Pulitzers have always done a good job of picking out these small, brave journalists who, in spite of every obstacle, 
every lack of support to amazing stories. The woman in Alabama, the father and son team who did tremendous reporting in their local community about police corruption. A few years ago, the woman in Pennsylvania who did the football, what's his name, Joe Paterna, and she worked, again, mm -hmm. she had no big sources, no great experience. She just worked every night and day to dig out this story. So they have always have done a good job at that. But are there politics? Come on, they're human beings making the prizes. Of course they are. Have you ever been on a decision-making group? For prizes, not the Pulitzer. No, but for prizes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, a rough, I, yeah. Is that a rough assignment? Yeah, it is, because you frequently get very good stories, but yeah. they're on completely different topics. How, how the heck do you pick the best out of that? I also don't like, you know, if my friends are on it, I want them to win. If there's enemies, <laughs> I don't want them to win. You have... How are you ethically handling that? Yeah, there's lots of issues. I remember one of the juries that I was on, we faced a choice between, I believe, if I'm getting this right, the Hartford Current, who had reported about uh, nurses who kill, and the New York Daily News, who had reported about doctors who kill. And we went with Hartford because it was a smaller paper. We thought that it was harder for them to do it than it would have been at that yeah, time. Yeah, but is that, fair, yeah, is that a fair no, no, way of the only, doing it? The only it. fair way to do it would be to give a whole bunch of news outlets the same exact story and see who came in with the best right, one. Right. And who's going to do that? What a waste of time and effort that would be. Hmm. Interesting. But it's very good stuff. Hey, folks, I just want to pivot to a brief conversation about the business of news. Get this. Google is going to pay $100 million to the New York Times over three years. New York Times being the most successful newspaper, of course, in the country in terms of its revenue still being sustained because— now it is, but it's had its rough moments since well, Rob Patrick's also. Sure it did, yeah. back in the days when Adolph Fox was alive. The, the, uh, so the Times is getting this $100 million because Google's going to feature Times content on some of its platforms. I think this is a little wedge into this notion of platforms actually paying for the content that generates their traffic. And isn't that kind of a good idea? Once well, could you explain it a little bit more? Give us an example. Well, I'm just saying that what they're going to do is there will be actually when you look for Google News, you're going to have branded New York Times content there. And so they're going to pay $33 million a year for this content from the New York Times. Uh, it's interesting. There is previously they've made a deal with News Corp, which uh, publishes the Wall Street Journal. But that is worldwide because they also have access to uh, the Murdoch papers in the UK as well as uh, Market Watch and so on that is owned by News Corp. So it is interesting that so many news organizations that provide the content that these tech giants use don't get any money from them. But here, Google is actually paying to big outlets for what they're using. You know, Rex, you've been talking to us about this very thing for many years now, haven't you? Haven't managed to persuade anyone. Right. Maybe, maybe you did. Maybe that's why the New York maybe Times is being it. enriched. I'm glad it didn't go to Fox. Yeah, well... There's well, well, well th this is a foothold. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen next. And, you know, sure, the New York Times is going to get $100 million, but you know what? The local paper in your backyard covering your city council meeting is not going to get a dime, and Google's going to continue to siphon away ad dollars. This is just an, another nail in the coffin of small local That's great. I'm really happy that you said that. <laughs> I mean, that is actually true. The big money is going to the big player, 
and it doesn't do anything for the local news infrastructure, which is why coming back to that not-for-profit in Mississippi, let's hear it for them. Well, give us a little inside baseball here, Rex. Uh, for years, you were running a newspaper in our area. Would that paper have been regarded as being a major player? In the world, no. In the world, no. No, and no, so, we would not get the But when you've money. done good work, you could get pretty ticked off about watching others get rewarded while your good work wasn't. I think of the investigation of Nexium, for example, that the Times Union did that didn't get a lot of attention. I remember. And it wasn't until the story was picked up by the New York Times and I would say carried further by to Google. the credit of Barry Mayer of the New York Times. He did reporting that we hadn't reached about the women being branded, remember, near the yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, that hadn't happened yet when the Times Union did its investigation. If I would say the prosecutors had done their job after the Times Union investigation, it might not have happened. But that we didn't have the reach, let's say, of the New York Times that basically would have forced the prosecutors to do their job. They just basically said, well, I don't know. And nothing happened. Not the district attorney of Albany County or Saratoga County or the U.S. attorney in the Northern District of New York. It wasn't until the New York Times did the story about Nexium. Well, finally... isn't that so fascinating? I know we're almost yeah. out of time, but, but Rex, the idea that it isn't news until the New York Times does the story? Story of my career. <laughs> Sorry, it happened when I was on Long Island for Newsday, too. It's very frustrating that sometimes only what moves public officials to take action is such an overwhelming amount of embarrassment. I, I don't know. Why is it that 60 Minutes has impact when they're picking up stories that have already been done by mm. the Montana Standard in Butte, Montana, for example? This kind of thing happens all the time. The bigger outlets pick up the stories. The Santos story. Santos a is a perfect example. One, yeah. A little weekly, the, the news leader on the North Shore of Long Island had some of the Santos and nobody paid attention. Again, not until the New York Times did it. Well, now that the New York Times has $100 million from Google, maybe they can pick up more of these stories and give them legs. Yeah. (laughs) That would be good for local journalism. Yeah, or maybe they can pay the local papers whose stories they're building on and say, here's some money. We're going to take your story and elaborate on it. When I was at Investigative Reporters and Editors, we had an annual contest to enter it. Papers had to submit or or broadcast outlets had to submit a very detailed affidavit on how they did the story and all the obstacles. And network television paid us for those applications, not for the stories themselves, but for the applications. And they would pick their shows from there. And they did give money to IRE for that. So this is not an impossible thing. There's nothing unethical about it. That's cool. I didn't know that. That's a that's a cool bit of insight. You always learn something when you listen to this show. How about <laughs> that? And that's all that we have time for today. We'll stop on that note. Alan Shartok and Rosemary Armeo and Judy Patrick and I'm Rex Smith with thanks to our producer, David Gustina, and to you folks for joining us once again this week on The Media Project. We'll see you next week. They used to work like hell just for romance But finally the movies notwithstanding They all got tired of patches on their pants They organized a union to get a living wage They joined with other actors upon a living stage Now newspapermen... The Media Project is a national production of WAMC Northeast Public Radio. Our executive producer is Alan Shartong. 
This week's projectors include WAMC's Alan Chartoff, former Times Union editor and current Substack columnist of the Upstate American, Rex Smith, Rosemary Armeo, investigative journalist and adjunct professor at RPI in New Albany, and Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette and vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association. You can listen to The Media Project anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go To working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough Now publishers are such interesting people It could be prostitution, I don't know Ting-a-ling-a-ling, circulation, ting-a-ling-a-ling Advertising, get those readers, get that payoff What a headache, what a mess Oh, publishers are such interesting people Let's give free cheers for freedom of the press